Here it is, guys. In the back of your program, up on the big board, the story. Maybe you've heard this before. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, yeah, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Okay, let's say thought experiment. Let's say that you're God. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. You're God. You don't really uh, know what this experience is like, but get into it for a second. Shrug your shoulders, loosen up, and I want you to start thinking like God. All right. Number one, you're probably going to have to step up your personal game a little bit, aren't you? Uh, maybe you're going to have to get those Christmas cards out after all. Maybe you're going to have to spend a little less time on Facebook, a little more time paying attention to current events. That might be good if you're God. Uh, maybe you need to be a little nicer in the mall traffic, etc., etc. Maybe you have to make some powerful New Year's resolutions to get yourself where you need to be as God. But if you're God, here's the question of the season. How do you reveal yourself to the world? You're the creator. Uh, you have some interest in how things are going. So how are you going to reveal yourself into the world? In what manner would you come to earth? That's exactly the question that Auntie Sonny asked the kids. In what manner would you come to earth if you're God? You know a few things about the earth, so what would be the most effective thing to do? Go ahead. Shout it out, bold ones. Love. Love would figure in. You would come lovingly. Beautiful. I like that. What else? There would be miracles involved because, you know, you're God and, you know, you're all that and if you got it, flaunt it. Am I right? Yeah, do some miracle. The Holy Spirit would be involved. It's a theologically sound youth ministry. Blue Water Mission. Sure. Uh, more precisely, let me ask the question this way just to get the creative juices flowing. Let's say, as God, you're developing a race of creatures. Let's call them humans. They're like children to you. That's what you had in mind when you made them. Uh, these humans have amazing potential, but they're struggling with the independence that you've given them, like kids often do. Uh, you have formed a plan to develop these creatures. Uh, it's a plan, but maybe it'd be better to think of it as a purpose. These creatures have a purpose that you are developing. 
Um, and more than anything else, this plan, this purpose, involves them learning to trust you. Children have to trust their parents after all. Now, to get your children to trust you, there's a, there's a balance. There's a combination at work in your plan. The plan involves a combination of tremendous challenges and uncertainty on the one hand, and some guidance and help from you on the other hand. In other words, if you're trying to create a race of creatures that trust you, you have to give them occasions to entrust themselves to you, right? You have to give them uncertainties. You have to give them challenges to provoke the question, do I trust God or do I not trust God in these uncertain, threatening times? And then you want to give them clues about you. You want to give them some indication that you are indeed trustworthy. That's the game, right? That's what develops trust in, in, in people. Well, that has been God's plan, and it has been churning through the generations of humanity as we humans have, have slowly but surely learned what God is like and what it means to trust Him. Um, at the beginning, uh, our main lesson as humans was that there is one true God, and we had to learn to put away our notions of all of these little God or things that we were tempted to worship our idea of, of gods back when we were a very primitive race were mostly uh, an echo, a reflection of our collective memory that we were created by a one true God, but we had lost track of him. So first lesson, hey, I'm God. I'm the only one. Here I am. You all have to learn to deal with it. And then we had to learn to obey the one true God. Um, and as is the case with all very young children, the first lessons of obedience have to be pretty basic. No, yes. If you do no, there will be repercussions. And so as God taught humanity to obey him in the very, very early years, um, you know, the, the commands were pretty basic and the disciplines were pretty stark, weren't they? We get a lot of, a lot of that in the Old Testament. Later on, as the human race grew up, people began, they, they became able to understand the reasons behind the commandments that God gave, and then things could start to flex a little bit, and that's what we see as humanity turned toward what we consider the New Testament years. But let's say that you're right at that point, and it's now time to reveal yourself more fully, more directly to the race of humans that have grown up a little bit. They're no longer basic little kids, they're sophisticated, tweeners, early teens, something like that. So you want to, well, you want to send yourself into the world. You want to give them a, a fuller, more relational, direct experience of you. So you're going to send yourself into the world. Actually, what you're going to do is you're going to send a manifestation of yourself in the world because, look, it's not like the world could contain all of you. You're God after all. So you have to package it uh, a certain way. Just a manifestation, but a perfect manifestation. You want to encourage obedience, but you want to do it by demonstrating that you're worth obeying that you are worth trusting, that you are worth loving. All right, 
That's the fuller assignment. How do you do it? How do you do something like that if you're God? That's a great question for a dinner party or an ohana group, Lagasis. How, how would you have sent God into the world? You might use it at your Christmas get-togethers, I'm just saying, because a party plus one question is a kingdom event. We all know this. But it's a loaded question because you, you kind of already know how God went about doing it, don't you? I just read the story. It's the story uh, that you may have come to celebrate this morning. It involved a baby. It involved a poor family who was socially displaced. But try to think objectively about the, the thing for a moment. What if you knew nothing but the desire of God to reveal himself in a way that gets all the essential bits across? What would you have done? We got some great answers from the kids. I, too, I think would have sent God into the world as a healer, as a restorer. That would be number one for me, no question, because I tend to be a a very compassion-driven guy. Uh, So I would definitely do that. I would send God into a world, into the world in such a way that it was accessible, you know, this this personal God idea. Really, when it comes down to it, what I would have done is I would have sent God into the world in such a way that that God was someone I could talk to. Now, that's what I want, truthfully, from my personal God. You know, I I want a God that I can talk to. Um, Not one whose majesty somehow puts him at a distance. Um, Not one whose grandness somehow leaves me feeling lonely anyway, you know. Uh, But I'm not sure that I would make God vulnerable. I'm not sure I would have done that, left to my own devices. I'm not sure I would have sent him as a whole, you know, the whole baby thing, the whole baby in a garage thing, which essentially is the analog for today. Somebody's manger, somebody's little barn, probably part of their house. It was like, you know, birthing in a garage. I'm not sure I would have done that. I'm not sure, you know, I would have had him beaten to death at the end. I'm not sure I I would have come up with that one. That's a surprise. Um, I think probably I would have thought about his entrance and made it, I don't think I would have made it grand. This is just me because I'm kind of a down-to-earth sort of guy. I'm not sure I would have made it grand, you know, like dropping from heaven or something like that. But I might have had him like sail in from the sea, you know, come in out of out of, you know, off the horizon in some sort of way and sort of show up with a, uh, at least some small sense of otherness about him, you know, because to me that would communicate a sense of freedom, that things didn't have to be uh, the way that, that they were. But no, I, I would not have done the baby born in a garage thing, just to be honest. But I'm still a good pastor. <laughs> all that said and all that meditation and questioning aside, I totally... Um, admire the way that God did it. And so do you. So does the whole world, in fact. You know, I'm, I'm mad enough to admit that God got it just right. And I think there's a whole bunch of evidence that supports me in that uh, agreement. Christmas proves that God got the story just right. Because, you know, Christmas, after 2,000 years of being around really proves itself right, I think. Because, think about it a second. 
Everybody in the world loves Christmas. Christmas clearly is the king of all holidays around the globe. What we see today is this really amazing, think about it, it's, it's this truly amazing cultural phenomena that even in cultures that aren't Christian, that don't have, you know, a thorough history of, of churching or the gospel, even those cultures love Christmas and go well out of their way to adopt Christmas and to kind of, you know, make it part of what they do in some fashion. All over the world, this is true. Of course, you know, Christmas is king all throughout Europe, all throughout, uh, you know, the, the Western Hemisphere, any, any place the church has really settled. But we see, you know, uh, uh, they call them the 1040 countries or, or the further Asian countries that, that don't really have such a grounded history in, in the church, but they're celebrating Christmas this week too. They are. Everybody likes it. It makes sense to everybody. Even if... Even if you don't believe in the one true God, you're kind of vibing with Christmas. There's something about it that really hits you nicely. Am I right? Everybody appreciates the Christmas story. Everyone sees this as precisely the right, the right way for God to reveal himself to the human race. This is precisely the God that everyone wants. I might not have designed it exactly like God designed it, but having seen how God did it, I get it. And everyone gets it. There is no one that looks at the Christmas story and says, oh, how offensive. There is nobody that looks at the Christmas story and thinks, ah, oh, you know, that kind of God is not worth trusting. They might say, I still don't believe in God, but they never say, oh, well, that kind of God is not worth trusting. That loving, humble, small, vulnerable God, <laughs> Who wants that? Nobody says that, right? God got it just right. Uh, if we're just honest enough to admit what we're like as a race, then I think we can totally see why Jesus came as he did. Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, showed up humbly. And really, if, if we're honest enough to admit it, that's, that's what we want out of a God, right? We don't want some majestic, all-powerful God unless he's also kind of humble. We want a Lord, but truthfully, we're not interested in a, in a Lord who is obsessed with lording it over us. You know, we want a God who's in charge, but we also want a God that we can talk to, a God that's small enough, you know, that's totally what we want as a race. And this is true of everyone. Hence the popularity of Christmas uh, around the world. Um, and, and Jesus pretty much invented that stuff. Jesus pretty much invented the humble, vulnerable, small God. That was him who did that. You know, the God that could be killed by the people that were ostensibly following him. Jesus invented that. And it's just right for all of humanity. Christmas proves it. We all trust that kind of God instinctively. If we let ourselves be true to our instinct. You know what instinct is? Instinct is just doing what you're made for when it comes right down to it. Whether you're a bird or a migrating caribou or a human being, instinct is just doing what, what you're made to do. Uh, wisdom is simply knowing the difference between real instinct and twisted impulse. 
Because the more sophisticated you are as a creature, the more twisted your choices can make you. So wisdom is just kind of knowing what's a real instinct, a real desire, versus, well, what's kind of a twisted impulse. And you know what Christmas does for me? Christmas clarifies a universal human instinct, a desire for a God exactly like Jesus. You know, if, if Christmas is a social experiment, I think it's, it proves that people want a God exactly like Jesus. That was our, that's our instinct. It is statistically proven. But, you know, do we trust that or do we trust some twisted impulse instead? Christmas plays right into our real instinct about what we need from a God. And, and as a result, I think it encourages in us, in all of us, a type of story that needs to get out for us to be the person that we were meant to be, for us to do what we're made to do. There is something in us that, that needs to emerge, and it's all, it's all wrapped up with the Christmas story in some way. One of the things I observe about cultures and, well, about religions around the world, one thing that every religion agrees on is that humans are not what they should be. Every, every religion says that. I don't care if you're Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Christian, Zoroastrian, I don't really care. Everyone agrees that, that humans aren't what they should be. And they all address that fundamental problem. There is something that we're all becoming. We all agree about that, just like we all agree that the Jesus story is, is pretty cool and pretty desirable. Everyone recognizing, everyone recognizes this. There is probably a Christmas story in you that has to get out, which is to say there's an emerging part of you. Maybe some of it has emerged. Maybe the emergence is just beginning for you. But it needs what Jesus brought. It needs his themes in order to get the breakthrough that it requires in you. It's a story about healing. The story that, that needs to get out of you is a story about healing or restoration because, as everybody agrees, humans aren't what they should be. Is it a story about self-perfection? Or is it a story about spiritual restoration? What do your instincts say? Um, it's a story. This story that's emerging out of you is, is a story that requires a God that is accessible and personal. Not a God who's distant, foreign, or strained. You need a God that suits you. You need a God like you. You need a, a God in human form, don't you? What do your instincts say? Um, this story that is emerging from you, probably it requires you to be humble and vulnerable. You know, it, it, it probably requires you to set aside insecurity, which is just a form of pride, oftentimes. You know, to put, to put away an old self in order to become a new self. I mean, nature is just resplendent with examples of that, right? When an animal evolves, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, 
when things progress to grander stages, they need to put aside the old self. That's instinctive to us, isn't it? And so for you to become the you that you're meant to be, you probably need to to be vulnerable. You probably need to shed an old shell. Wouldn't it be great if God demonstrated how to do that? If he came in vulnerable form and lived in such a way that it was clear he was putting that aside, leaving it behind, even to the point of letting that shell be destroyed. What do your instincts say? Doesn't that make sense at some instinctive level? Doesn't it seem like we're designed to understand and pursue something like this? I ask myself uh, the question, if God is like that, I mean, if God really is like Jesus, then what should I do? And I find that that question, if I honor it and follow my answers truthfully, usually takes me um, to uh, a richer place. I think it's the question that in some way the whole world asks themselves at Christmas time. Most of the world is afraid to take it too far, but at Christmas time we at least dabble in it, right? We call it something like, oh, we're embracing the spirit of the season or something like that, right? But what this is really, it's a questioning, it's a consideration that is provoked by the entrance of Jesus into the world. If God is like that, what does it mean for how we should behave and live? And everybody knows what the answer is. I mean, instinctively, we all know. You know, we're generous with each other, we're nice to each other, we forgive each other. It's, I mean, it's all plain. There's nothing complicated about it. We do it, we even celebrate it for a week, and then the New Year's parties begin. But, you know, we all know it instinctively, don't we? This is not a hard thing. Wisdom is just admitting that it's a true instinct and not following our twisted impulses. It's true that there are things that can complicate Christmas time for us. Uh, We were just discussing this morning in our little intercessory prayer group uh, how so many of us at Blue Water Mission this year have, uh, have lost loved ones. You know, so many of us have, have lost our fathers this year. You know, Angie was talking about it. I lost my dad about two months ago. Um, Sonny has lost her dad. Julie lost her dad. And that makes Christmas time a little, a little extra provocative for us, but not any less meaningful. You know, all the holiday parties and the obligations and stuff like that. I admit, that can make Christmas time a little bit complicated, particularly if you're a finite introvert like myself. Yes, but, but, but the spirit of it is clear, right? And we all do find a way to celebrate it. Christmas celebrates a certain way in which God made his entrance into the world. And it, and it says everything that we need to know. He's a personal God that he's a small and trustworthy God, he's a vulnerable God. And there's a certain way that God makes entrance into every life as a result, because what it comes down to is our personal choice. Do we trust our true instincts or do we trust twisted impulse? One of the things that always impresses me about how God moves in the world is that, well, it's really about us managing our independence, isn't it? And he never overrides that. He always presents us with a 
choice. He doesn't cram anything down our throats. So he says, look, look, here I am. I'm a baby born in a garage. What do you think? Decide. If this is true, if this, if this really is me, you know, what are you going to do? Your choice, O oh independent one. But there's a way that he enters into a, a life. Um, in my experience, people who, well, we say convert to faith, people that make a choice to start following God, almost always have this moment at which, when they're wondering if they could believe in God, they realize that they already do. Does that make sense? Have you got, you know, had experiences like that? You know, maybe you're, maybe you're hungering after something more, maybe you're seeking after God uh, just a little bit, and um, you're thinking, man, could, could I ever believe in a God like that? I mean, does that make sense to me? You know, could I ever be that person? Can I ever be that person of faith? And then you realize that, well, there's a true instinct in you. You're like, dang, I think I already believe it. And then there's that, there's that wisdom moment. Do you trust your true instinct? Or do you twist your impulse and go a different direction? There's always a choice uh, to be had there. The only thing that uh, I think we need to do to become people of faith is to be wise enough to admit what our instinct actually says. That's what we're designed to be after all. And eventually to be bold enough to ask, hey, if, if this is God, if this is the way God makes an entrance into my life, what should I do about it? Am I willing to do something about it? Because like I say, everybody knows what the Spirit is. Let's pray. It's, a, it's an entrance, Lord, made all the grander by being so small. And we realize that that was exactly the right way to do it. Uh, we are grateful. Uh, I pray uh, this morning, Lord, for those of us who need it, who need a renewal with you, uh, who need to let go and just surf with the Christmas spirit this year. I pray for those, perhaps, who have never really accepted your entrance into their own personal lives. I pray for uh, your entrance anew. I pray for an entrance that is all the grander because it's a small moment. I pray that around the auditorium today, many of us individuals would have those perfect small moments where we realize that actually we already believe it's just a matter of doing what we know to do. I pray for faith. In Jesus' name.